A little different than what our worship sounds like, but we loved it. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you all. Thank you very much. God bless you. It's too much trouble for them to get up in their seats and come down to the stage, so please pray for these folks. They have to look at my backside the whole time I'm up here. Uh, Good morning. What a joy and a privilege to have Jubilation Jazz with us. Uh, We have loved it today, but I got to say, it's our privilege to have you but it's your privilege to have Leslie Willis and his wonderful wife, Becky. We love them so much. So I wanna say thank you to Leslie for bringing the band and letting us be an experience for our church this morning. This has been wonderful. Hey, let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard something that sounded absolutely insane, but it was true? Have you heard something like that? Uh, just a couple of days ago, I was looking on social media, and I saw there was this uh, prize fight. It was a, um, I guess it was an exhibition fight. Floyd Money Mayweather and some uh, YouTuber, Logan Paul. And I, I noticed how much uh, Mayweather made in the fight. One and a half million dollars. It's a lot of money on it. Per punch. Per punch, he made uh, over $60 million in this little fight. It sounds crazy to me, but it's true. Uh, I was gone most of this week, and my wife told me that there was just a ton of rain, and so you might not, uh, this might not be as shocking to you with all the rain we got this past week, but you know those cumulus clouds that are in the sky, those little fluffy ones that we look for animals, and we try to see figures, you know what I'm talking about, in the clouds? Did you know that those things can weigh over a million pounds? It's believable after all the rain we got. It was coming from somewhere, right? Sometimes we hear things and we go, wait a minute, that sounds crazy to me. But it's true. That's exactly what we're going to see today in our text. We've been in a series in the book of Acts uh, called The Story of the Church. And last week we talked about the fact that Paul is giving his fifth defense before Roman governor and also before the king of the Jews, Herod Agrippa II, And we're going to see a little of something today that sounds crazy, but it's true. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Acts 26 with me. Acts 26, verse 24, we'll have it on the screen, I think, maybe. We'll see. It says this, And as he was saying these things in his defense, speaking of Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus but I'm speaking true and rational words. Would you pray with me as we get into this text this morning? Father God, how good you are. Lord, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you, God, that you do things that sound crazy. And praise God that they're true, that you love us the way you do. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word this morning, that it would be real to us. God, that we would love you and therefore it would be rational. It would be something that makes sense to us. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd lead us to all truth, that that I would stay out of your way, that I would decrease in this time. Lord Jesus, that you would increase. That is our prayer. And give us the courage to be obedient to what you say to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Three things I want to say this morning very quickly. The first one is uh, the title of the message. It's crazy, 
but true. Some things sound crazy, but they're true. Paul has given his fifth defense, and in every single defense he's given uh, before these Roman governors, he's given five, right? The first one was before the Jews in the temple. Uh, the second one was before the Sanhedrin. Uh, the third one was before Felix. Fourth one before Festus. And this is the fifth one before Festus, uh, I'm sorry, Festus and Agrippa together. Every single time he's told about the Messiah, that there have been tons of prophecies of the Messiah. And Jesus comes along and fulfills every prophecy. He talks about the fact that he lived as a devout Jew. And then one day Jesus showed up to him and changed everything, changed his world, right? And from that day on until the Romans behead him, he lives for Jesus. He makes Jesus known. That is his ministry. So he's done that in every single defense. He's talked about uh, everything that the Lord has done in him. But before he can finish this fifth defense, Festus interrupts him. Hey, hey, wait, wait a minute, Paul. You're nuts, man. You're crazy. All this learning, all these books, all the things that you've been thinking and dreaming about, they've made you crazy. And Paul responds respectfully, as he has in every defense. He says, you're most excellent Festus. I'm not crazy. And he says two things. He says, I'm speaking true and rational words. In other words, the things that I'm telling you really happened. They're true. Jesus being the Messiah of all these prophecies is true. The prophecies say that the Messiah must live a sinless life and be a suffering servant and die on a cross and rise from a grave. It's all true. Jesus showing up to me and wrecking me. Me falling down and saying, who are you, Lord? And he's saying, I'm Jesus. Serve me, live for me, make my name known, be my witness. It's all true. And he's also saying, I'm speaking rational words, right? What, what, rational words. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, if you understood the Jewish faith, if you understood this conversation uh, in prophecy, you would know that this all makes sense. If you were following along in these prophecies, this would make sense to you. Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. You know, Paul's not the only one here in Scripture that's uh, being called crazy. Uh, Jesus was called crazy many times. Mark 3, uh, John 10. In Mark 3, I think it's a funny story. Jesus had just called his disciples, and it says that his family went to go get him because they thought he was crazy. Even his family thought Jesus was crazy. I think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, and I'm going to read this out of the message. I just love the clarity in the message in this section, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21, and the message says, the message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully, as it turns out, it's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose experts as shams. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered stupid, preaching of all things, to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. Paul's giving this explanation. He's saying in this, uh, this uh, defense to Agrippa and Festus, this is exactly what's going on, right? Festus says, this is dumb. You're crazy. 
but he's hell-bent on destruction, right? His mind, his thoughts, his ideas have, have nothing but himself in mind. But for those of us who know Christ, for those of us that the Lord has drawn to himself, for those of us who's changed, who God has changed our hearts and changed our lives, it is the very power of God that gives us life. Amen? It is the very thing that we live for. It is everything. Notice Paul says in this Corinthians passage, I'll expose so-called experts as shams. Isn't that exactly what he's doing right here with Agrippa? King of the Jews? Watch what he says. Acts 26, verse 26 in our text. It says, for the king knows about these things. This is Paul speaking, sort of in to the third person. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, and he changes right, his focus directly to the king. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become as such as I am, except for these chains. Here's the second thing I want you to know this morning. Belief leads to decision. Belief leads to decision. If I took you up this morning on top of our building, we've got a little staircase and a little ladder. It goes up. It's pretty high up there. If you and I were standing on the top of the building, I said, all right, let's see what you believe about gravity. Right? Let's see, really, what, what do you really believe about gravity? If you, if you truly believe in gravity, you probably don't want to step off this roof. If you believe in gravity, maybe you want to just find a safer way back down. That belief led you to a decision, didn't it? That's exactly what Paul is saying to the king. He says, you're the king of the Jews. You should know, you should be familiar with all of these prophecies. You should know what I'm talking about here. He speaks boldly when he says, king, I am persuaded. I'm convinced, I'm convicted, I know. I know that you know these things. None of these things has been done uh, in a corner, right? You think about Jesus, and this is what he's talking about when he says these things. He's talking about the, the life of Christ, all that's been done in Jerusalem all these years, all that's been done around Galilee all these years, all the thing that have, things that have been done in the temple, things that Jesus has said to Jewish leaders, this has not been done over in a corner where you, don't know, you haven't heard about it, right? Agrippa, you know what's happened. What, what has happened exactly? Jesus has spoken to thousands. He's reprimanded Pharisees, chief priests. He called them uh, whitewashed tombs. You heard about that? Jesus turns over tables in the temple. He heals people all throughout Judea. Did you hear about that, Agrippa? How about the fact that Jesus raised a dead man after he'd been dead for four days? Just like it says in prophecy, right after that, Jesus rides from Bethany on a donkey into Jerusalem. Did you hear about that, Agrippa? Did you hear about the tens of thousands of people who were shouting his name, saying, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, King, Messiah. I know you heard about that, Agrippa. Okay, well, if you didn't hear about that, you, you had to hear about Jesus dying on a cross. You had to feel the ground rumble 
in the earthquake. You had to notice some dead bodies rising and, and the veil in the temple was torn. Did you hear about that, King Agrippa? Did you hear about Jesus getting out of the grave and turning the world upside down? Paul says, I know you know of these things. I'm persuaded that you've heard about this. It's not been done in secret. So yeah, I think Agrippa probably was familiar with his story. And then Paul does something extremely bold, very uncouth, if you will. He speaks directly to the king. See, he was talking about the king. I'm sure the king knows about these things, and then he speaks directly to the king. He says, King, do you believe in the prophets? You just asked the king of the Jews if he believes in the prophets of Judaism? Are you kidding? See, what Paul is doing here is he, he's showing that the king of the Jews is a sham. He's a, he's a con man. He, Paul relieves the tension, though. He says, I know you believe. I know you believe, right? There's this underlying tone of sort of expectation that you would have for the king of the Jews. Right? I know, surely you believe in the prophets. I mean, that's what we uh, as Jews believe. Surely you believe in the prophecies of Messiah. They're not unfamiliar with, with you, Right? Paul's exposing Agrippa. He's only a figurehead. Agrippa gives his response to Paul. And he says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard that said a little differently in some of our translations. Almost as if Agrippa was like this close to accepting Jesus as his Savior. Some of your translations may say, uh, almost thou persuadest me. You, you almost got me. That's what it kind of sounds like, right? I don't think that's the way he said it at all. There's nothing in his life that shows he was close to salvation. I think what he basically uh, is saying, in essence, is that in this short amount of time, you think you convinced me to be a Christian with that little speech? That's the tone of what he's saying. You honestly think with that little bit of testimony that you just gave, all of a sudden now I'm going to be a Christian? It's a little different, isn't it? Nothing in his life, nothing in this moment shows us that he was truly considering the life of Christ as his savior. I think his words were revealing his unbelieving heart. I think he said exactly what he meant to say. Paul speaks directly to him. He wants to see the truth in the king. He wants the king to know Jesus. It's just that simple. Can I just tell you, we get the sense that, oh, there's this important trial going on. Paul doesn't feel that, I don't think. Paul's been sitting in a prison for two years. He's already heard from Jesus himself that he's moving on to Rome. I don't need what you have to say to me, king, but I hope that you'll hear what I have to say. I hope you'll trust Jesus with your life. I like the way John Stott puts it. He says, Paul had hoped for the king's salvation, not his favor. Paul didn't need his favor, but he was hoping for his salvation. Paul says to the king, I love this, in a short time or a long time, I wish everyone here would become a Christian, except without these chains, right? I, I, what Paul's saying are two things. The objective of seeing somebody come to Christ is more important than the time it takes to see it happen. I want to say that again. The objective of seeing somebody come to know Jesus is more important than how long it takes Moms, how long have you been praying for your children to know Jesus? Are you going to stop because it's been 10 years? No. 
my wife and I have been praying for our next door neighbors for eight years. And as long as the Lord lays them on our heart, as long as we have an opportunity to witness to them and to minister to them, we will pray for their salvation. It's not about how long it takes. It's about the hope that they will receive Jesus. The second thing we see in this, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, is that he says the gospel is for small and great. Remember that last week? Not just for you, oh great King Agrippa, it's for everybody. And when Paul says, I wish everyone would become a Christian, he lumps the great king in with everybody else. Small and great, everybody. No one is more important than the other king. So when I say this to you, I'm saying it loud enough that everybody can hear it. And my hope and my prayer is that people would come to know Jesus as their Savior, great or small. The irony in this moment is palpable because here, little Paul stands with chains on his hands. They, they ring every time he moves around in motions. And yet he's the only free one in the crowd. You see that? Everybody else is bound spiritually, and yet Paul's bound physically, but he's free. Completely free in Jesus. So Paul's uh, exposing the experts as shams, as the word says in Corinthians. And the sham is Agrippa. Have you ever heard the, uh, the story, the king has no clothes? Remember that story? Hans Christian Andersen, 1830s, wrote this story. It's about a king who loved his clothes. He loved fancy clothes. And so he had these tailors and these weavers that would weave beautiful clothes for him. One day, two weavers come into town. And they supposedly have the finest silks and the finest material to weave the most beautiful clothes. And the king hears about it. He says, I, I want to see your materials. I, I want you to make me a kingly wardrobe. And the, the guys say, well, that's great, but we got to tell you about this, this one uh, fabric that we have we want to make your clothes out of. He says, it's magic. He says, when you put it on, if, uh, if you're not worthy of your position, then the clothes will disappear. That'd be a bad thing, wouldn't it? So... The king says, i got to see if this is true. He sends, of course, his pastor to go find out if this is true. And so the pastor goes and tells the weavers, I want to see the, I want to see the, the material. And they hold, fake, you know, they hold up this fake garment. What do you think? He thinks, if I admit that I can't see this, they'll think I'm unworthy of my position. So he goes, it's beautiful. I love it. I'm going to tell the king it's radiant. The king sends somebody else. The same thing happens. The guy goes, if I admit there's nothing there, then I'll be seen as unworthy. So it's beautiful. I'll tell the king it's radiant. Then the king comes to, to put on his clothes and he sees nothing in the air because there's nothing there, right? But he goes, if I see nothing and I say there's nothing, they'll see me as unfit for my position. I better just put the clothes on. He puts them on and he goes out to see his subjects naked. Yes, it's like your worst nightmare, right? Thinking, I sure hope I'm worthy of my position. And a child says, the king has no clothes. And everybody goes, oh yeah, he just has no clothes. This is, the king is seen for who he is. He's a sham. And in this moment, I want you to see that Herod Agrippa II is being seen for who he is. He doesn't believe the prophets. 
He doesn't believe the prophecies of Messiah. He doesn't even believe the God of the prophecies. And yet he's the king of the Jews. You know, Agrippa II, his grandfather tried to exterminate Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem. I think there's an irony here that Paul is trying to convince him that Jesus is his only hope. (laughs) Because Jesus is the true king of the Jews. And if Agrippa would just submit his life, then he could be his king as well. Problem is, he doesn't want his religious beliefs to influence his present reality. I'm going to say that again because I want you to think about your own life. He doesn't want his religious beliefs to interrupt, disturb his present reality. Do you ever do that? I absolutely have. See, it's easy for us as believers in Jesus to compartmentalize our faith. We make it about sentimentality. My parents believe, so I'm going to go to their church, and I'm going to sit and listen, and I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to live my life. It's Sunday. I better be a Christian. It's Sunday. I need to go to church. I need to act a little better. We can't watch that movie, honey. It's Sunday, right? Better not say that. It's Sunday. We compartmentalize our faith because we don't want the religious things of our faith to actually influence our lives. God forbid. Can I just tell you, if you've compartmentalized your faith so much that you can sin and live however you want, not worried about what God expects of your life, then you too and your faith is a sham. We can't compartmentalize. God wants all of our hearts, all of our lives. Maybe you're like me because I definitely compartmentalized my life. I grew up in this church. I would come and kind of like that king, I liked wearing nice clothes so that everyone would go, oh, look at him, oh. But my life was a mess. I was lost in sin. I, I had so many problems. And yet at church, I felt like I needed to look perfect. But every time I would sin, I would have this unbelievable conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because I knew it wasn't right. I knew it wasn't what God wanted of me. And so some of you are in that position today. When we sin, when we compartmentalize, the Holy Spirit's drawing you to himself. Oh, that we would be a consistent people, knowing and believing that it would lead us to a decision to follow Christ. Here's the last thing. The king, squirming in his seat, decides he needs to change the subject pretty quick, right? Acts 26, verse 30. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul had been successful in these three defenses against the attorney, against the Jews, in this Roman praetorium, palace. He had been pronounced innocent every time and yet he had been in jail for over two years. Agrippa says, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, if he hadn't made that appeal, he would be free. You know, the thing that's so funny about that to me is, if Paul had been set free, he would have been murdered. But how many times does the enemy come to you after you've made a decision to follow Christ, 
after you've made a decision that this is going to be God's will for your life, this new city, this new job, this new thing, whatever, I'm trusting, I'm following God. And all of a sudden the enemy says, man, that job that you left just gave that other guy a raise. And you go, oh, right? You ever felt that? The enemy wants to come in and make you second guess what God is doing in your life. I love the, the quote from Victor Edmund that says, never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Because the enemy's going to come back on the backside and go, oh, you really messed up. Paul was perfectly in God's will. He was on his way to Rome. He was right in the center of God's will. Don't let the enemy make you second guess what God is doing in you. What Agrippa thought would be freedom for Paul would actually be his death. All right, here's, here's what I want to leave us with. Final thoughts this morning. Festus thought that the gospel sounded crazy. Some of you may be sitting here today saying the same thing. I'm just here to hear some music. I'm just here because I got a friend in the band. This gospel stuff sounds crazy to me. Well, let me tell you something that sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. Can I? The fact that a holy God could love a sinner like me, that sounds crazy. But the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that while we were sinners, in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our sinfulness, God loved us. In the middle of your sin, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, God loves you. It sounds crazy, but it's true. You know what else sounds crazy, but it's true? That a perfect and sinless Savior not only loves us, but was willing to take our place as sinners on our cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I deserve the cross. I deserve death. I deserve hell. And Jesus said, no, let me take that for you. That is the gospel. It sounds crazy, but it's true. And it's changed my life. Every part of my life. It's changed your life if you know the Lord. What sounds crazy is that God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, knowing all along that Abraham couldn't keep the covenant. And so then we see Jesus sitting with his disciples, basically telling his disciples, ask God, it's time for me to keep God's end of the covenant and your end of the covenant. Matthew 26, 27, and he took a cup and when he had given Thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Lord loved us so much that he was willing to keep his end of the covenant and ours. Friends, what do you believe about the Messiah this morning? Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe this story of grace that a king would die for his people. Do you believe that? Or have you compartmentalized in such a way that this faith doesn't even affect your life? Friends, I just want to tell you, today that can change. Today you can make a choice to trust Jesus, to follow him, 
because of all of our religiosity in our, in our country, some of you are just going, I've heard that a million times, but maybe you've never experienced it for yourself. Maybe you need to trust Jesus and say, this sounds a little different. I know I'm a sinner like that guy, and I know I need help. I've tried it my way for however long. Maybe it's time you tried God's way for your life. My prayer is that you believe and that what you believe would lead you to this decision to follow Christ. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, Luke 9, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and what? Follow me. Does that define your discipleship? Does that define my discipleship? Or does my discipleship look like I go to church on Sunday? My prayer is that God would help us to be the disciples he wants us to be. Denying ourselves, taking up our crosses daily, following him in obedience. One last thing. Agrippa had an opportunity to hear that foolish preaching from Paul. But that foolish preaching is what leads people to salvation. Today you have the privilege of hearing some foolish preaching. From a fool, in fact. It has the power to change your eternity. It has the power to change your life. He had an opportunity to hear it and be changed by it. And he wasn't. What will you do with the gospel today? As you've heard it, will you be changed by it? Pray with me. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that for every one of us is another opportunity for grace. It's another opportunity to hear of the gospel of Jesus, that, that a holy God would love a sinner like me, that a perfect Savior would take my sinful place on a cross. I'm worthy of death. I deserve death. And yet you took my place and died for me so that I don't have to experience eternal death and that I can have abundant life. Lord Jesus, I pray that our belief system, everybody within the sound of my voice, that their belief system would lead them to a decision today. I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna deny myself, I'm gonna take up my cross, and I'm gonna be who he wants me to be. That's my decision. God, I pray if there's any soul in this place in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as their savior, would you draw them, Lord? Would you draw their hearts to you, God, to ask for forgiveness, to tell you that they believe in you, that they truly live, want to live for you, they truly want to turn from their way of sinfulness and walk in your way of righteousness by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus. Lord, that's my prayer this morning. To some people, it sounds absolutely crazy, but it's true. And our world needs true. Our world needs Jesus. And I pray that you'd make us, as your people, faithful to your word, that you might use us, that this world would come to know you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.